This morning, rather than having several readings from the Bible, we focus on one. The selected reading for us this morning comes to us from the book of Genesis. These are the descendants of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, of Padam Aram, sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and his wife Rebekah conceived. The children struggled within her, and she said, If it is to be this way, why do I live? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The elder shall serve the younger. When her time to give birth was at hand, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy mantle. So they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand gripping Esau's heel, so they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man living in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff, for I am famished. Therefore he was called Edom. Jacob said, first sell me your birthright. Esau said, I'm about to die. What use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. The word of the Lord. O Isaac, be careful what you pray for. I have a Jacob in my life, too. A Jacob for whom I also prayed. A prayer in the face of a ticking biological clock of one approaching her mid-thirties. A prayer for fertility for conception. And then, alas, there was a flutter of life within my womb, and the flutter turned into a tiny hurricane of kicking whenever I preached or sang or spoke in public, a wrestling match within the womb, but not between twins, thank God, (laughs) as in this morning's lesson, but between my Jacob and himself. 
foreshadowing, to be sure. This is why my Jacob is named Jacob, because one who wrestled that magnificently in vitro assuredly deserved to bear the name of his biblical namesake, the Jacob from today's lesson, who wrestles inside the womb, who comes out fighting, who battles his brother Esau for the rest of his life, who wrangles with an angel of the Lord all night long and naked on the banks of the river Jabbok, who struggles with his father's favoritism towards his brother. This is our biblical introduction to Jacob, whose life is defined by wrestling with himself, with his brother, and with God. Yes, I have a Jacob in my life, too, who grew from a somersaulting fetus to a precocious toddler known for violently pouncing on his older brother to a young boy of five or six for whom the church presented a very real problem. Like Houdini, Jacob would regularly wiggle out of his church polished black shoes, tiny vests, and corduroy pants even before the prelude finished. He refused to come up for children's sermons ever. He would not sing. He would not participate in the prayers, much to the consternation of the dozens of congregational grandmas who tried to force him to do so. When asked to please rise, he would sit, cross his arms, and glare at me. And finally, when he was around six, Jacob took to having emotional outbursts in church during those few precious moments of silence following the sermon, at which time he would belt out, I hate this place and I hate you people. And after church, I would beg him and I would plead with him and I would threaten him and I would bribe him and I would say, Jacob, you cannot say such things to which his brother Christian, then seven, replied, Yeah, Jacob, nobody wants to be in church, but we come here anyway. (laughs) Yes, dear Isaac, naive wannabe father in this morning's lesson, be careful what you pray for. For even Isaac could not have predicted the lifelong war between his sons and the nations that they would give rise to. No parent ever anticipates dissent or division within their family. You expect disagreements among your kids, but a mother or father never truly expect genuine war. I remember when I served a two-point parish in Calamus, Iowa, it ran like clockwork that whenever there was a death which resulted in significant land or inheritance issues, the very families who claimed that land or money would never divide my family were the very families that split often for decades. You know small-town grudges. This rang true for brothers Esau and Jacob. Even before the end of this morning's lesson, when Jacob tricks his older brother Esau out of his birthright as the eldest son, all for a bowl of lentil soup, 
culminating in the ultimate drama as later when their father Isaac lies dying when Jacob finally tricks Esau out of their father's final blessing as well. Because of this, Jacob then flees for his life only to return to bury their father. Esau forgives Jacob for his constant trickery, but these two brothers never fully reconcile. These brothers are locked in eternal battle. You don't really have to throw a stone too far to hit a family with warring siblings who fight either amongst themselves or with their parents. I will never forget a time years ago when I was attending the death of a woman who was surrounded by her eight adult children, all with professional careers and children of their own. Moments before she died, she leaned in and she said to them, I love you all but one. And then she died. I tried to convince the children that I was the one that I had gotten in a fight with Marianne before she died. They did not buy it. The devastation on their faces and the fighting between them remains to this day. They still battle over who that one was. It seems then to be human nature, to divide ourselves into sides or camps or teams or armies or factions. It is human nature to wrestle with each other. You don't need to be convinced of that. Yes, be careful what you pray for, Isaac, because the truth is even no general politic can overcome that which human nature seeks to achieve. If humans desire war, war will ensue. No ideology can fully unify or bring peace if its citizens want war. And even in times of apparent peace, there is wrestling below the surface to determine who dominates. Some are always marginalized, banned from entering a country, or prohibited from health care, or humiliated due to race or gender or sexual orientation. Every country in the world is somehow divided. Ours is not so unique. Every country was created by some civil war that was won or lost, or some tribe conquered, or some land reappropriated. Whether we use our increasing tension between Republicans and Democrats, or look at the lifelong wrestling between Jacob and Esau and the nations they gave rise to, One could argue that there has not been much progress in politics in the pure sense of the word, that is to say, the managing of people in the city or the polis, to borrow the Greek word. Since man and woman were first created, there's been animosity between each other, and in that respect, not much has changed. Whether we look at civilization in biblical times or civilization now, people are at odds with each other on a personal level or on a political level. This is true even within the church as a whole, to be sure. You know this. I've shared with you that I come from a very long line of pastors, and I know of one, a great, great uncle of mine, who excommunicated so many of his congregants and colleagues that there was no one left to bring him communion on his deathbed. You can laugh, it's fine. All kinds of issues 
can divide a church. You know this. Whether it's the ordination of women or the genders of the one the church will marry or the frequency of communion, what constitutes a member, who's allowed to use the church kitchen. Well, let's just say there's plenty of fodder for division within the church. One could safely make the claim that where two or three are gathered, there is animosity. I make this point today intentionally. I chose this one single scripture today intentionally, knowing the important vote that Gloria Day makes today regarding the future of Lutheran campus ministry, a vote potentially binding us even closer together in many years of ministry to come. And we are reminded in this morning's reading that it is not God's will or desire that the world or the church be unanimous or uniform. The hope is that we can focus instead on the common ministry we share to proclaim God's unconditional love for all people. I love that this congregation wrestles with your relationship to LCM and what our future ministry means together financially congregationally and spiritually. It's a struggle that relates well to Jacob in our lesson today, the wrestling that marked his entire life. On behalf of the students whom LCM serves, I thank you for your commitment to LCM, that as you wrestle with what our future looks like, you never ask whether we will walk together. You instead ask how. We will walk together. And for that, I thank you. May we acknowledge and lay aside those things that seek to divide on a personal level, a political level, religious level, and seek instead the common good for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the students whom we serve together at LCM. See, here's the beautiful thing about Jacob and his story that his passionate struggles reveal deep and profound strength. You can't fight if you're weak. And you can't engage in battle if you don't have the muscle to back it up. The strongest people I know are the ones who are pitched in battle with themselves or with God. A faithful life is marked by wrestling and struggle. Although my Jacob seemed to really despise the church, it's this same boy who one time in the first grade claimed to be a Jehovah's Witness (laughs) so that he could join Haley, a Jehovah's Witness classmate, to color in the principal's office when she could not participate in the class Halloween party, taking an unexcused absence to do it. It's the same wrestling Jacob who just this past spring secretly watched all ten episodes of the series The Bible on Netflix. It's the same boy who struggles, who had the Lego Bible for boys hidden under his pillow and who often prays silently before eating. It's the same boy, Jacob, who struggles with all things religious, who wears his stolen yarmulke when our friend David, our Jewish friend from the Hillel house, comes to visit. It's the same boy, Jacob, who made a secret attempt to baptize a baby that I was watching. (laughs) I don't know 
if that counts or not, but he tried. The struggle is real for him. The struggle is real for this child. But there is a strength in him that only comes when you wrestle with God on the floor. Call it stubbornness. Call it discipleship. It makes very little difference in the end. Be careful what you pray for, Isaac. For when you pray to God for children, and when God decides to listen to you and answer you, with robust boys, who in your case, Isaac, give rise to warring nations. You don't know what you're in for. They will fight with everything and everyone around them, and you might think that all is lost and that there is no hope for human relationship, but there is most certainly hope for human relationship. But it does not lie in the hands or the ability of presidents, diplomats, Bishops, or even pastors. Hope for human relationship lies solely with God and specifically with God's Holy Spirit who calls and gathers, enlightens and sanctifies. And what does that mean but the conversion of the human heart that the job of the Holy Spirit is to make holy those things that we desecrate to clean those things that we soil, to bind up those things that we break apart, to sew together those things or those people whom we tear apart. Whether we battle personally or politically or religiously or with our own selves, it is God's spirit that we have in common. And that is enough. Where two or three are gathered, there is animosity But there is also God. And where there is God, there is hope. Trust me, I think of this every single day when I watch my sons trick each other into mowing the lawn, cheat each other out of money with imaginary rules to card games that don't exist, ambush one another from behind trees, chase each other with sharp, freshly whittled sticks, attack one another with homemade slingshots, and trebuchet, and then to watch them fall asleep, arms entwined, mid-battle, like exhausted puppies in a pile on the floor at the day's end. And if there is hope for these three boys for whom I desperately prayed, then why not hope for all generations, those living and those yet unborn, that we might celebrate and worship the one God who creates us all in God's glorious and holy image, and that what finally unites us with one another and with ourselves is a Holy Spirit who exists to reconcile us with each other, with God, and with ourselves, despite our best efforts to divide and to wage war that a God exists who loves you and me so desperately that God will stop at nothing to draw us into relationship with each other and with God, to make peace with ourselves, even if we are kicking and screaming, and that finally, maybe that's what heaven looks like in the end. That at the end of all our days, When we have finally exhausted ourselves with wrestling with each other, with ourselves, with creation, with God, we collapse in a pile on the floor like puppies, Jacob and Esau, you and me, 
arms entwined and fall asleep peacefully. Amen.